When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest um, podcast. And uh, a very good morning to my colleague. Let me first start by saying um, I can confirm, I can break, I can do whatever with the news that as we've got, Stephen Gerrard is their new manager. Um, Barney, yeah. Does that make me a transfer guru or something? I don't know. Probably it does, doesn't it? Um, anyway. Good morning and welcome to everyone watching. Also, good morning to Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, and Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado of the Daily Express. Um, good morning, guys. Nice to morning. know you all. And uh, plenty to discuss because it has been sacking and hiring season, I guess, really. Um, uh, Aston Villa sacking Dean Smith, bringing in Stephen Moore, Noid getting rid of Daniel Farker. Um, plus, obviously, the recent departures of Steve Bruce and, and Nuno, really. Um, Stephen Gerrard, let's talk about let's talk about that, shall we? And um, we're also going to talk about Eddie Howe and and uh, and Newcastle, um, Manchester United. Are they about to follow suit and sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the title race and England? Um, what what are these going to uh, what are these fixtures going to mean to us? But listen, let's start off with. Um, Aston Villa and um, and Stevie G. Um, Andy, what do you what do you make of the appointment? Do you think that um, Stevie would be a, a, a good fit for Aston Villa? It, it seems you know it's 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 quite a leap, isn't it? But I'm not sure we would have got such a great opportunity, even if even if the timing probably wasn't great for him or for Rangers. But what an opportunity for for Stephen Gerrard. Yeah, I mean, it's not such a big leap. You know, Rangers is a huge club. He's going from one huge club to another. I mean, you know, one one um, fantastic, you know, club with, a, with loads of history, um, with great support, to another club with fantastic history, you know, loads of support. And, and, and it just feels to me like a really, really good fit. You know, I mean, he's, he's serious, Stephen, about management, you know, and he has been probably since before his... His playing career ended, um, and this is the type of club that just—I I, I just think fit, fits him perfectly. It really does. You, you know, it's a club with one; it's got a great fan base. Two, it's got a great stadium. Three, it's got serious owners who are going to invest money. They have invested money. Okay, they sold Grealish, but Grealish—you know—had um, the guy clause in his contract, and they had no no option but to sell him. But they're investing money. They are—they are—they have got serious intentions. And and if you're a manager going in there. Then you know what's not to like. You've also got a squad that is probably slightly punching below its weight this season. Okay, they've lost Greenish, but but still, it, it, it's a good enough squad to be in the top half of the table. So he'll know that. And he takes all his coaching staff there with him. Um, and I think you know the thing that will always now be mentioned that will that will always be with Stephen Gerrard is oh well, he's going to be Liverpool manager eventually. Well, that's not necessarily so. And in a way, it's quite good. I think that he's. He's away from Liverpool in, in a sense, you know, and we all, we've all interviewed him when he was a player and, and, you know, towards the end of his career. And the recurring theme was that, well, what if I'd have, you know, gone to Chelsea? What if 
maybe I'd have gone and played abroad. Like, you know, there's always that sense of where is he absolutely loves Liverpool, loves the club. There was always a sense of, well, you know, there's perhaps a bigger world out there. And that bigger world out there is there for him now with Aston Villa in the Premier League. I think it's a great appointment. And 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 credit to Villa, they've acted quickly, decisively. They've got the man. They won't mess around with the coaching staff. They'll get them in. And I just think it's a perfect fit. And I think it's, you know, as much as I felt sorry for Dean Smith, I think this is a really exciting time now. Um, and it's great to see, by the way, an English manager in the Premier League as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jeremy, do you, do you like that? I mean, it's you know, it did seem harsh on, on, on Dean Smith, considering the job he's done on Sunday. But then did did they need the man to take it to the next level, if you like? And is Gerard the man to take him there? Well, what is the next level? What is... what? Is, I mean, I, I, I don't totally agree with... I do agree with Dunning. It's great to see Gerard back in English football, one of the true iconically great players we've, we've had down the years. Um, and it's good that a young English up-and-coming manager is going to be working in the top flags. There's the, the few and far between. But my worry for Gerard is, and I don't think there's any getting away from the fact that his ultimate goal is to manage Liverpool one day. Mm. We all know his loyalty to Liverpool and his, his deep feelings for the club being a scouser. But So this, is, in effect, is a stepping stone towards that. And what kind of step, stepping stone is it? What will he have to achieve there at Villa? to make himself justified in being a candidate to replace Jurgen Klopp when he leaves Liverpool. I know Villa have spent some money, but they're not in the same league when it comes to spending money as the as the big, biggest clubs. Um, I just don't see what he can achieve there in terms of success. What would be... What is his target? I don't, I don't, I don't know. He's not going to get them in the top four, is he? I can't see him doing that. How much time will he be given? I mean, Dean Smith got them promoted, got Villa promoted, got them to a League Cup final, remember? And as soon as he has a, a dodgy run of five straight defeats, they bulleted him. I think mm. he deserved more time, to be honest. I think he, mm. he did a great job at Villa, and I think they should have stuck with him for a bit longer, maybe till Christmas, just to see if he could turn things around. But they haven't, and that's just the way the world these days. So I'm, I'm slightly concerned in the, how it will pan out for Steve. Um, I don't know what, what his remit will be, whether it will be to get them into Europe, maybe. That might be a, an outside chance of that happening. But if it doesn't work for him there... You know, where does that leave him? That'd be my one concern for, for Gerard. Yeah, yeah. Matt, do you think Gerard will, you know, lead the lead the, the, the next wave of the of the golden generation, if you like, and make this and make this one work? We've had a few sort of tasters, haven't we? Sort of with 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 uh, Lampard and with Rooney and Gerard now a big Premier League club. I mean, you know, has he got all the tools? Do you think to to kind of show that generation can work as managers? Well, I think he's shown that so far, hasn't he? Um, yeah. uh, I think the timing's not that. I mean, you never want to ideally change mid-season, but in this specific instance, I think where Villa are already, he's got a free hit of a season. They're not going to get relegated. Um, they're too good for that. Uh, and providing Gerard, you know, is what he, he he hopes to be, then he's got a free season to to assess what he's got, a summer to sign who he needs, and. Uh, and get them working in the way that he wants to. And then next season, I, th I think he's got to be aiming for Europe if he's going to press his credentials as a top manager yeah, out there. He has got the backing of a board that, that want to invest. Uh, and, and yeah, top four's too big a step for one season. But if he could be, uh, be qualifying for Europe next year, then suddenly you think, well, he's done a good job there. And there are so few young English managers... <laughs> There's an England job coming up in the next few years. There's the Liverpool job when Klopp has enough. You know, 
if if Gerald wants to go with his heart and go to one of the very top jobs in the game, then you know, doing something decent at Villa will be a stepping stone because he's already shown that he can manage, as Andy said, a really top club like Rangers in terms of stature. Um, and yeah, no, I think he's building quite a CV there. Yeah, just quietly going about it, and I, and I think this could really work out for him and, and Villa will benefit. Yeah, there's always this age-old debate in there. Rangers is such a big club, such a such a monster, if you if you like, really. And then the um, you know Gerard has done a terrific job there. Really, he has, isn't he? And in, in sort of kind of you know, overhauling their great rivals uh, last season, and it, it, it's it shows just what you know what he's what he's about. But I, I guess it brings <laughs> brings the question, Andy, doesn't it? It's sort of kind of you know is is he which club is bigger? Is he leaving? Is he leaving Rangers to join a bigger club or in Aston Villa? Or will Rangers always believe that they're they're the bigger one? Is, is can you see the logical step? Is the logical step a right one? Yes, yes, it is. He's not leaving a bigger. He's not leaving Rangers for a bigger club. He's leaving Scotland for a bigger league. I mean, it's right. as simple as that. You know, there really is no. You know, the two clubs really. You know. How do you compare the two clubs by, by fan base, by, I don't know, by worldwide appeal? Arguably, you know, you could be here all day um, sort of splitting hairs on that one. But what he is doing is he's leaving one league for a far bigger league. He's leaving for a league that, you know, well, that we all like to call the best in in, in Europe, the best in the world. So whether it is or not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not entirely certain, but that's certainly the way it's perceived. He's leaving one league for the richest league in the world, that's for sure. So and he's leaving one league for a league where he's going to test himself against some of the best managers in the world. He's going to test himself against Tuchel, against Guardiola, against Klopp. Um, so yeah, it, it is a logical move. Let, let's you know, it, it's no slides on Rangers that he's leaving there for Aston Villa. Um, and I also think it, I think it is a bit of a slide where when 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 the lads turn turn around and say when we start talking about Liverpool and England and we talk start talking about Aston Villa as some sort of stepping stone. And this is Aston Villa you're talking about. Stepping stone, Aston Villa, you know, they're, they're European champions. They're, they're one of the best clubs that we've had in our history. They're a fantastic club. Why? I'm sure the aim isn't there for Steven Gerrard to go there and sort of like, you know, sharpen his tools so he can go manage Liverpool or England. The aim is to go there and turn Aston Villa back into a club that is competing right at the top end of the table, that is competing for the Champions League, a competition that it's won, by the way, I mean, you know, I, I, I would be, you know, heinously insulted if I was a Villa fan to think I would have just come in here just to like prove his worth, so we can then go to Liverpool. Mm, yeah, absolutely. His aim is to turn oh, Aston Villa into challenges for against Liverpool. Just looking mm. at the fixtures, eleventh of December, Villa. A go team to they beat seven. Sorry, that'll be, that'll be an occasion, won't it? Villa go to Liverpool on the eleventh of December. Yeah. Won't be a dry eye yeah, in the house, fell there. Jeez, hey, wow, but, but listen, wow. don't forget, don't 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 forget. You know, there is this is unusual. There is history of famous old boys going to manage other clubs. A certain Kenny Dalglish was probably even more of a legend of Liverpool, and went to manage Blackburn, and went to win the title of Blackburn, and took Blackburn to Anfield on the last day of the season, and won the title, even though they got beat in that game. So it's not, you know, it, it, it's it's significant, but it's not it's not it's not hugely like important. Mm. Yeah, tis, I think tis. what'll be what it's difficult, like Dunny said, it's difficult to compare the two clubs, you know, which one's bigger than the other. But what is slightly different is that I know I think it's safe to say that he won't 
feel as much expectation and pressure and intensity at Villa as he did up in Glasgow because it's 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 full on up there between those two Celtic and Rangers, isn't it? And I don't think it'll be quite as powerful in Villa. Yeah, no, it'd be, it'd be very interesting, you know, sort of see how it how it pans out. Uh, in in the meantime, Norwich are also looking for a new manager, really, having finally got rid of Daniel Farker, which, which, I mean, it seemed bizarre, didn't it, that they finally did it after a victory, really, um, to play into the into this sacking season, really. Um, you know, they'd gone previously twenty Premier League games without a win, which seems a remarkable length of time. In fairness to them, they had, I do actually think they'd given it something of a go last summer and it clearly wasn't working. But now, does this open the door for Frank Lampard? Is Frank Lampard, you know, <laughs> blimey, it could be Lampard Gerrard again. <laughs> can they manage you know, the same in league? The Premier League, Premier League management lineup? Uh, you know, can you squeeze them both in? God. Oh, God, no, that argument again. But, you know, did this, Jeremy, did, did, I mean, does Lampard, does Lampard need Norwich? Does Norwich need Lampard? Is that a good fit? I'm not sure it works either way, really. I mean, they look doomed, don't they, Norwich? They mm. look they look like they're going to go down. I mean, I know that they've closed the gap slightly at the bottom with that win at Brentford, but you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't put a penny on them staying up, really. So, would Lampard is he experienced enough to to handle that situation? Do they need to start looking at appointing a manager who, you know, ahead of next season, maybe in the Championship, who could get them back up? Um, maybe that's that's something that they're thinking. I know they probably won't ever admit to that. They'll want to appoint someone who can give them a realistic chance of um, producing a miracle. But I'm not sure Lampard's the, the right man for that for that role. And, you know, Lampard will be looking at that situation Norwich and thinking, I'm going to hide into nothing here. You know, how many games am I going to win? If we go down, is it a stain on his CV? You know, after what happened at Chelsea, he needs he need, probably needs a better, a better return to football than what Norwich can offer him. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is. Matt, do you think that's... What, what do you think Noid should do next? I'll tell you one thing. If they did go Lampard, it would be one hell of a departure from, from the previous vision, if you like. You know, an under-23s coach from Dortmund. And it, that, that would seem strange in itself, really. You know, radical change in philosophy. Norwich have got to decide what whether they want to be a Premier League club or not because they've made no real effort to be one once they've got there the last two times. And if now that it's changed and Farker's, Farker's sacking, by the way, was clearly decided before that last win, mm. which I think just on a note on that, I do find it very sad when someone as, as likeable and as loyal as Farker's um, you know, served the club as, as he has done to make him go through the puppet show of uh, and the pantomime of doing a post-match interview when he's clearly already been sacked, you know, 24 hours earlier, just seemed a little bit of a shame for, for the way he went out. But but coming back to the original point, um, if they want to be a Premier League side built on a perhaps a young uh, team coming through, perhaps Lampard is the manager. But the hurdle they've got, he's got to get over first is getting back out of the Championship next season uh, when inevitably they're relegated. So I wonder, you know, is it a job for perhaps Lampard plus a mentor um, as a director of football or, or something, you know, the, the first thing is whoever is goes in has got to be someone who can get them straight back out of the championship again. Uh, and I'm not sure if Lampard's got that wiliness that, that you kind of need um, to do that. So he may be the guy to establish them finally in the Premier League, 
but I'm not sure he's the right man, you know, to, to I mean, there's so many teams in that championship now that expect mm-hmm. to get up every season. That, that that's the battle that Norwich are going to make sure they win first. And I, mm. and I think they might be getting ahead of themselves if they went for Lampard. Yeah, yeah. It'd be, funnily enough, I mean, blimey. Neil Warnock's to... available. He, he does Neil Warnock's good... available. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't you can't see that as a fit with Norwich, to be well, fair. Well, no, no. Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce, <laughs> sure. yeah. I don't oh, think boy. Steve Bruce would leave his cricket tour, mind you. For, for, I know. Um, for well, well, mind mind you, he managed to get England. As soon as his face came up on the screen... England started losing it. I, I, I was just I was just wondering whether he deserves any any stick from the northeast boys. I'm joking, northeast boys, but basically for for deserting the country and going supporting England on on you know in the, in the cricket World Cup. But um, uh, it, it's it, it's a strange one. I mean, blimey, you do think actually whether mm. Lampard might be a better fit for Rangers actually, but you know, surely I don't know. Rangers is such a, a such a huge. Club, where, where you know, where on earth do they, where do they go next? You know, begin sort of kind of scouting round for, you know, young, young, uh, young managers, young dynamic, different managers, having had that success for, for, for you know, with Gerard, um, they're, they're beginning to look, aren't they? But in, anyway, but it's it, it'll be interesting to see. And following in from that mould, Eddie Howe at, at 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 Newcastle. I mean, Andy, he. I have to say the the coverage of even of his sort of kind of first, you know, his unveiling and his first press conference seems distinctly underwhelming. Bearing in mind, if you compare it to the fanfare that the new owners received, I'm not sure that yeah, I'm not sure that you know everyone believes in the Eddie Howe project, do they? That Eddie Howe is the man to rescue them from a relegation disaster. Well, no, I mean, it it, 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 it doesn't quite fit the, the whole narrative, does it? You know, um, this idea, you know, the big takeover and Bruce goes and and there's going to be a big name manager coming in. And the guy who comes in as a guy who's been out of work for a long time and his, and his last job was to, was to take um, a club down into the championship. So, no, it doesn't quite fit the, the high profile. We've got loads of money sort of um, scenario that, that we're in. But having said all that, um, I like the I like the appointment. I think it's a great appointment. I think it's a really good appointment. Um, it's unfortunate that he clearly wasn't first choice. It's unfortunate there was a very high profile um, snub from Unai Emery, um, and it's unfortunate that you know that's probably why the sort of reaction to it has been quite low key because you know he clearly wasn't first choice, and he's clearly not the type at the moment. He's not the type of manager maybe that they had in mind, although you don't know what they've got in mind because they haven't got a clue, have they, the new owners? You know, they're not, yeah. you know, they, they're not experienced in any way, shape or form of running a, an elite football club. But I, I just do think that maybe by by fortune and by the process of elimination, they've come across a very good manager. You know, I I, I like him a lot. And I, think he'll do, I think he'll do an excellent job. Um, you, you know, for all the fact that we say, oh, he took Bournemouth down. Yeah, well, he took them up. He took them through all the divisions and kept him in the Premier League, you know, for five years playing some reasonable football. So mm-hmm. I don't really see, um, I don't, I don't see what is not to like. And I, I, I like the profile in that. I'm not sure. I'm not actually sure whether or not it fits Newcastle. I thought that it would have fitted Everton, that sort of Eddie Howe profile, because I think you're getting someone who's buying into a project, you know, and, and I don't think Newcastle is going to be a long term project. I mean, let's face it, you know, if they go down, Eddie Howe might go, you know, for all the length of his contract. I don't think, I, I, I think Newcastle will be 
because they're so naive to a certain extent, you know, it, it won't be a, a long-term building project. It'll be, we want it now. You know, we, we want to buy this player now, we want to buy that player now, and we want success now. But I think Eddie Howe's the type of manager you can say, okay, well, this is the way we're going to go. This is the path we're going to go down for three, four, five years, and he'd be a good manager. Mm. So I wish him well. I think it, listen, I think he's, he's a good guy. I think he's a good manager. They've got their buy, as I say, by default, but I think they've got a good manager by default. Yeah. Jeremy, does, does Eddie Howe kick them up? It's a big, big ask that. I mean, not won a game all season. No. Well, you alluded to the sort of flatness of the whole underwhelming event yesterday when he was announced and he had a press conference. He went on the pitch with Amanda Stavely. Um, it all looked a bit understated. And it's understated for a reason. It's because the new Saudi owners, since they took, took over at Newcastle, have had a massive reality check. You know, the five points adrift of safety, mm. they don't have anywhere near enough quality in that squad to stay up, I don't think. So, you know, how's clearly a short-term fix. He virtually admitted that yesterday. Um, you know, it was quite telling that when Stavely was asked about the long-term vision, she, and both of them actually, how as well, neither of them could really talk about it. They didn't want to talk about, oh, getting into the Champions League or, you know, winning the title maybe in five years' time. It was all about the here and now, really, and that's his one priority is to, um, is to keep them up. I, I, if I was a betting man, I would I'd back him to go down. I think I just depends what happens in in January, of course. You know what he can, who he can manage to bring in. Um, but how many top 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 players are available in um, in the January window? That you very rarely see really big deals done in January. Mm. Um, so I'd have to say no. I, I don't think he will keep them up. And maybe I'd got one eye on maybe thinking, well, if we do go down, Eddie Howe's got a lot of experience at managing in the in the championship, but maybe he's the guy who could bring the straight back up again. Maybe, maybe that's what they're thinking. I don't know. You've got to be realistic and say that when you look at the league table, it doesn't lie, does it? They're a poor team, Newcastle. And mm. how, where, they, where are all those wins going to come from that they need to stay up? I just, I just can't see it happening. No, no, no. Uh, Ed, uh, Matt, do you think that Eddie Howe, I mean, sometimes I, I always think he, we kind of remember the negative in, in our line of work more than we sort of kind of, Cherish the positive, really. And what Eddie Howe did at, at Bournemouth, I always remember when Bournemouth came up, I thought it was a bit of a footballing miracle, frankly. You know, I do, you know, I know it's sort of kind of, I know they've got wealthy backers, basically. I was going to say, they were backed of, as well. And I mean, yeah, but but we've already discussed that story, wasn't it? You know, how it's hard a tiny, is it to, to get out of that division? You know, you know it yeah. is hard to get out of the division. My, my concern about Eddie Howe is that I've first really came across him I was covering Burnley when he had that brief stint there and it was just so drab low-key as well as this I mean he was homesick he didn't really fit it didn't work at all but there was just it sort of sucked all the energy out of the club for a while one that had been promoted already um under Owen Coyle and, and was you know then the Sean Dyche thing was waiting to happen but there was that interim period it just seemed to it, yeah, it was like he was a double glazing salesman. He was always neat, tidy, you know, presentable, pleasant. But it just seemed so just low-key. And that's the last thing Newcastle want and their owners, I would have thought, want. And, and as for them seeing it as a long-term project where they go into the championship, they're buying the club for the Premier League status, the international spotlight of the Premier League. They have no – they didn't buy it to go into the championship. You know, you buy a championship club and get them up if that's part of your plan. Um, 
it's yeah, I, I think his task is to keep them up, definitely. Um, and with the way, as Jeremy says, with the talent they've got there, the dearth of talent, but a few sort of sparks of uh, of player, yeah, players with ability that, that might do something. I think it's his coaching skills that the that, that Newcastle are tapping into in a hope to get the best out of you know a very average squad in the hope that that's enough to catch perhaps you know Brentford slightly their their results are dropping off there are a few clubs just above them just looking at the league the table there that might find themselves in a hole and might stall uh that they could perhaps pip on the post but but as to a long time project you need someone with charisma you need someone who can go into meetings with these you know fairly confident characters in in, in the boardroom uh, and say what is needed, and uh, otherwise the whole thing's doomed for disaster. You know, I, I don't see Eddie Howe as that sort of manager, to be honest. No. Do you think he could sell Everest double glazing? He was <laughs> the best Everest, you know, but there you go. I'm not sure whether I should tell this. I'm not sure whether I should say this, but the first time I, I think I met Eddie Howe was in was in Costa Coffee on the Holloway Road. I think he was still in the championship then with Bournemouth. And I don't know that probably plays in probably plays in into the narrative really. That's a story apropos absolutely nothing. But I actually really like the <laughs> fact that was, interview. Yeah. <laughs> I, lit, I did bump it. It wasn't I wasn't there to meet him. I was meant to meet someone else. But I quite like the fact that sort of a one of <laughs> one of the country's le leading young managers basically wasn't you know wasn't too posh enough to insist on sort of one of you know London's sort of uh, better known hotels, the Landmark, the Savoy, or whatever. We, you know, he's he's happy Costa to go and coffee. get his, yeah, he's happy to go and get his latte from you know Costa Coffee. I'm sure yeah, he I had a latte because it, it's the latte sipping it, classes that go to Arsenal. Arsenal. Good. He, 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 um, he would have called back Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. Don't think well, yeah, I don't think he could probably go and have a coffee in 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 uh, Costa in, in Newcastle anymore because suddenly he's in the goldfish bowl. <laughs> Speaking of goldfish bowls, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Wow, I mean, blimey, he's probably had a right result actually because there's been so much going on this week that it's rather mm. deflected away from Manchester United and Solskjaer. And probably done a favour also by the fact that United haven't got a game this weekend because the international break. Come on then. It, does he survive the season? Does he survive this crisis? They've got Watford when they come back. And it's, you know, I mean, in normal times you say, well, that's a game that the United will surely go and win. But actually it feels like a game that actually could be an absolute disaster really waiting to happen. Because if you go and lose there, then that puts a different context on it. Altogether, doesn't it? Does, does, does Ole turn things around? Does he does he survive the season? What do we think, guys? Well, I think if if, if he was going to get sacked, he would have been sacked by now because yeah. we saw what happened against Liverpool the other week. Drubbed at home five 0 absolute humiliation, and that was bad. That was really bad. But then, for those of us that were at um, Old Trafford again last weekend for the derby, I have never seen a one more one sided game in the history of the Manchester derby, I've got to say. It was unbelievable. Um, so the result was 2-0 to City, obviously not as damaging as 5-0, but it was the performance that was really the most concerning aspect of the whole afternoon because from the time the game kicked off, United clearly had no ambition to win the game. It was damage limitation. They clearly would have taken a point. I mean, what sort of manager sends out a United team at home against the neighbours 
with that sort of approach, it's just ridiculous. You know, played three at the back. City didn't even have a number nine playing that day. So they've got three central centre-backs marking no one. And obviously, he's decided to switch to this three-at-the-back system, which which doesn't allow for wingers. And, you know, they've spent £73 million on signing Jade and Sancho in the summer. That's a hell of a lot of money. And Sancho is just... Well, he wasn't getting a game anyway, but he's certainly not going to get a game if he keeps playing three-at-the-back. So mm. it all just seems so so messy. I just think Solskjaer, great bloke, very likeable. But the, that elite level when it comes to tactics and managing a team, I just don't think he's got it. No, no. But what plan do they have? I mean, what 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 options do they have if they sack him? It's they have to have a solution, and there is there isn't an obvious solution out there. That's, that's well, the, the, just on that, right? It says here on the script. Thank you, Connor, for, for providing the skip, uh, script. Um, who could United go for? Now, Jeremy, you've written about Brendan Rodgers, haven't you? And you know that that would seem, an, uh, you know, an obvious obvious one because he's. <laughs> Bright young British manager doing ever so well again at Leicester. Ralph Ranyak, it says here, Ten Hag and Zidane. Now the Italians yeah, reckon Zidane. Zidane yeah, the Italians reckon Zidane's already turned it down. Always <laughs> got an opinion on everything, really. <laughs> um, um, but I, 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 you know, what, what what on earth is he turned down? Because the best of my knowledge, I don't think really is. It, you know, I don't think the offer's been made, is it? Really, that's less me, you know. But anyway, but there you go. I um, and that's that. Isn't that part of the issue? That basically there isn't that obvious fit because as much as I like Brendan Rodgers, and I do, I'm a big fan of Brendan Rodgers. Is that a fit? Former Liverpool manager. Now we had this why, discussion. Why does the, that even well, we had this discussion that? the other day in the car park, and you got you got very annoyed with me. At least it passed about half an hour in the in the, <laughs> in the crazy queue for the the um, COVID testing at St George's Park. But you know, I'm sorry, I I, I do think it's an issue. I All think right. some United fans. So if Pep Guardiola, like, if Pep Guardiola left Manchester City and was available, mm-hmm. and United appointed Guardiola, do you think the United fans would be upset? No, because they'd view it in a different way. They'd go, "Oh my God, we've signed one of the world greats, and we've we've stuffed it up, Man City." Right. That's why. Well, look, that's never going to happen. That's why it's a different different mindset in getting. I just think if you if you you are in desperate need of a new manager, which United clearly are, with respect mm. to Solskjaer. They need to make a change, in my opinion. You've got to look at who the best available candidates are, and you've got to throw out this theory that, oh, you can't, we can't appoint Brendan Rodgers because he wants to manage Liverpool. I just, you know, you can't think like that. Otherwise, you're just hindering yourself straight away. And I think Rodgers would be a good fit. I just The issue is, obviously, I think the two people they want, one is Pochettino, one is Rodgers. They're both in jobs. Can't see Rogers or Pochettino leaving those positions during the season. Pochettino might end up getting sacked. You know how brittle it is at, in Paris. So you know, but next summer they could they could they could get either of those two if they can agree some compensation with Leicester or PSG. But what do they do in the meantime? If if, if United keep limping around, not winning games, what do they do? Mm. You can't keep a manager in a job just because there's no one else available. If he's not working, you get rid of him, and I don't know what you do, but you can't. I disagree with you there. Yeah, I think you. I do. In a job just because there's no one else to give it to. You've got to have someone better. If you get to appoint someone worse, then you're going to make it worse, aren't you? Andy, what do you think? Do you think that you know? Think Solskjaer hangs on by default, or 
Well, it's, it's not so much by default. It's, it, it's clearly their plan. It's clearly what they want at, at the moment. I mean, I think I, I, I'm everything that Jeremy said, I think it's absolutely spot on about last Saturday. You know, it, it did feel like a defining game, really. And I'm slightly surprised that it looks like he's going to last the international break. It, it, it isn't over yet, the international break. And Ollie's gone back to Norway. And, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't. You, you wouldn't put your entire house on him on, on him surviving this international break, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and I do think when you say because there's no one better out there, you know, we've got to remember this is Manchester United, you know, I and mean, we, we say, well, who's available, who's whatever, you know, they can, they should be in a position, Manchester United, where they can go and approach basically whoever they want, you know, and they should be able to try and, you know, the idea, the idea that people turn down Manchester United is a relatively new one. You, you know, they, they should, you know, if people say, oh, well, Ten Hag, you know, he's not available, he's doing a great job at Ajax and whatever, well, well, well you know, go, go and test the water, you know, go and, go and say mm. to him, you know, come and manage Manchester United, you know, we're, we're a bigger club. And I think, you know, the idea there's no one better out there, there is, you know, there are an awful lot of coaches better out there, you know, and and, and so go and go and do that, you know, don't just be hamstrung by the idea, well, you know, so-and-so is available and mm. so-and-so isn't. Just put it on the Brendan Rodgers line, I don't think it's Liverpool connection will... I've aimed to do it, you know. I mean, I mean, hey, Matt Busby played 110 games for Liverpool, you know, and it, and it, and and, he, and City. yes, indeed, and it's City. Um, probably not as many there, but 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 you know, so I don't think that, that that's that's a fact there. But just again, going back to um, um, the Ollie situation, I think we, we I think we all felt, you know, and we've all been there so many times now with Solskjaer, where where you sit down after a match to write your report. And you're like, you know, you're a bit like Gary Neville on TV. You're a bit like, we all, we all like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I like, you know, his honesty. I like his personality. I like his demeanor. I like the way he doesn't, he doesn't normally sort of lay into refs. He's not, he's not, you know, prancing up and down in the fourth official's ear like a certain Klopp or a certain Guardiola. I like all that about him. You know, and and, and I like the idea of him being in charge of the club. And we're all like that. And then you're thinking, well, you know what? I can't write anything else here because that was a lamentable display against Manchester City. And it was a lamentable coaching display. So naive it, uh, as, to, as to beg a belief. I mean, it really was. You know, and, and you're having to write this. You know, you're dispassionately, you know, and it's your job to write. And, and it feels hard to write it because you like the guy. But, but again, you know, as Jeremy said, you know, I mean, Guardiola clearly. I mean, it was great after the match when Guardiola said, you know, well, I'm going to be gentle. In other words... I'm not going to expose Solskjaer for his naivety. His naivety was that once that system had worked in Spurs, Guardiola knows that that's what he's going to play. Yeah. And just basically just set his, set his tactics up to, to, to expose that. So you had the horrible sight of Aaron Wan-Bissaka, a player who is not in form anyway, as so many United players aren't, not in form anyway, getting no, you know, playing as a, as a as a wing back or you know, but essentially, obviously, he has defensive duties mm. because they, they've got so deep. And Guardiola is just clearly just targeting him. He knows he's getting no protection. You know, Bruno Fernandez isn't coming back to protect him. You know, Mason Greenwood isn't coming back to protect him. Ronaldo's not going into his own heart. You know, so so he knows that. So he doubles up on him with Phil Foden and Jao Cancelo, and it was torture. It was painful mm. watching it for the guy. You know, a minute in, you could see him thinking. I don't believe this. You know, I am going to get absolutely rinsed by Phil Foden and Joe Cancelo all afternoon. And they just did it. And he had no protection. And every time Foden looked at the ball, he'd had a, he'd had a go past one, but like, or he'd wait. And then 
Cancelo make a run behind him. Bernardo Silva make a run behind him. While the three centre-halves, as Jeremy says, are just sort of wandering around thinking, you know, what have we got to do? And it was embarrassing. I mean, it was, it was you know, we're not the world's best tacticians, hence why we're football writers and football coaches. But it, we're, we're sat there thinking, you know, and, and, and I think that sort of, it was a seminal day from that point of view where you saw his, his coaching naivety just absolutely exposed horribly bare by Guardiola. And also, John, out of all the damning stats that emerged from after the game in the fallout, the worst one of all was that United had more shots on their own goal on target than they did on the fifth goal. Two. Yeah. Linda, yeah, one, yeah. one was an yeah, own Lindelof and Bayern. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. and you just look you, yeah. if you were if you were the owners of Manchester United, you look at that and you think, yeah. let's be let's be brutal. United have always measured themselves against Liverpool. Down yeah. the years, that that's the benchmark. What are Liverpool doing? They're our biggest rivals. But actually, it's now City because they're you know they've been the dominant team in English football for mm. probably the last ten years, give or take. So, and when you're so far behind a team where you should be on at the same level, if not, mm. you've got to try better. That to me says we need to change. We need to make some changes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm all for managers. How many times have we discussed? Like we said about Dean Smith, didn't we, earlier? How he should have been given more time. How many times have we said, oh, you know, these clubs are too trigger-happy? And Well, actually, United are not being trigger-happy. They're giving Solskjaer more than enough time. Can I can I just provide some context on that? We all know Mark Robbins, don't we, from the, the story about the man who saved mm. Fergie's career. Um, Fergie, who'd finished second in his first full season at United, was under pressure, wasn't he? He went to uh, Nottingham Forest, wasn't it, in... Mm. Uh, 1980, 1990, early 1990, mm. um, on the run of a miserable league form. Mark Robbins kept them in the cup. The story is that kept him in a job. Um, uh, uh, and the story since has been, do you know what? For all the success he had, no manager will be given that amount of time to establish himself at the start of their tenure as Fergie was given back then. Well, Mark Robbins scored that goal in match number 151 for Fergie. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's had 167 games already and shown nothing. So he's been given more time than Fergie was given. Mm. Uh, and we all said that was never going to happen again. And he's not shown it. So I don't know how much more time you have to give him. You know, it was it was supposedly unprecedented. What 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 you know, or wasn't going to ever be repeated what Fergie had. And, and now Solskjaer's gone longer. And, and I've not seen anything that makes me think it, we're going to suddenly kick into gear and land the sort of trophies that United want. Mm. I mean, yeah, he, he is literally living on Fergie time. Yeah. I'll tell you what I think is interesting and a seismic moment, I must say, and this is just a little theory of mine, is that I think that Solskjaer has been so protected by friends and pundits in the media, I do, that basically he's not had half the amount of stick that any other manager would get and the pressure, therefore, that follows. And I thought it was a seismic moment on Monday when Rio Ferdinand, fair play, stood up. It must have been difficult because that, that you know, it begs the question, should you have basically former teammates and, and friends, you know, offering punditry on people that they're afraid to criticise? Well, you know, I must say Jamie Carragher does it about, you know, Liverpool in fairness to him, doesn't he? You know, and does it well. Um, but I do think that Rio Ferdinand, I mean, the notion that a former player can't call for a manager 
you know, to, to be sacked is just nonsense, really. Oh, what are you doing in the punditry business? You can say that they can get a job, but you can't say they can lose it. So fair play that Rio Ferdinand, you know, stood up and, and, and made good, passionate, reasoned, decent arguments, basically. And I just think when that tide turns, something's something's afoot, basically, and something can change, um, you know. So Fergie out of retirement then, yeah? Sorry? Fergie out of retirement. Fergie at retirement, yeah. I think uh, I, I've seen uh, Ahmed Ismail basically saying yeah. that basically should Ferguson, Ferguson come back from retirement. Answers to that, uh, yes, please. <laughs> if you're an United, I fan. think you're already. Yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, well, yeah. I think he's been running, time, running, well running, running the show for years, isn't he? <laughs> but listen, guys, I, I you, you know, I, I'm, I'm slightly conscious of um, a, a time because I do think one of the most important days of, of, of the year oh. uh, I was to stay, and we want to respect that at 11 o'clock. So I. Um, I do want to move on, and uh, um, it, it was it, you know we've got two England games ahead uh, as well, and uh, Albania on went on on Friday night. You still can't qualify from from that, so you have to go to San Marino, hopefully to to clinch qualification. Um, and yes, we do have to go to San Marino, and um, yeah, it's it, it, players seem to be dropping like flies a little bit as well, don't they? Basically. So, well, you know, it seems to be to be a quite a long drawn out process, by the way, for, for England to qualify for this World Cup. Should we be, I don't know, have we, have we, have we stalled a little bit, Andy, do you think? What do you think? No, no, I don't think we've stalled, have we? You know, I, I mean, listen, you know, one draw against um, Hungary doesn't make it a, in, in some way a sort of... Um, a, a bad qualifying campaign? No, no, I, I don't think we have. And, and, and qualifying will be, will remain a formality. You know, I mean, they they'll even if even if they don't win against Albania, um, even if, you know they draw against Albania, then you know everyone beats San Marino. You know, I mean, Andorra beats San Marino three 0 San Marino are <laughs> officially, I think, if if the rankings are to be believed, the worst team in the world. You know, so there's no way that England will qualify. Did you? It's, I think it's just the way the other results have gone. I mean, it's going to go down, down to the wire. That gives it an element of drama that really isn't there. You, you know, England will qualify. So no, no, I think no, I, I, I don't think there's any, any reason to uh, to be concerned. I mean, the only thing I would say is that <clears throat> it's, it's. I think you sort of expect this this time of year. It is just a little bit alarming. You know, when Southgate's um, announced this squad last week. You know, the, the debate was about more, you know, people who weren't there and this and, and this sort of quite new mm. concept of players basically not wanting to join up with the squad. And I think you know in that element. But again, I think <coughs> there's nothing new. You, you know, I, I think I think at this stage of the year when when players are conscious about their obligations, club obligations, that happens. So um, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned at all. No, in, in terms of qualification. Um, as I say, the only things I, I would, you know, the green thing was was odd. Bellingham not wanting to be in the previous squad, but this one was was also slightly odd. And the Hudson Odoi issue, but, um, but no, I, you I got three I, players you know, there that didn't want to play for England. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I just find the green with the situation. Sorry, quintessentially, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Yeah, what 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 a find slightly, you know, it, it was only. Um, um, 
a couple of months ago when Southgate was saying he thought his biggest achievement was the fact that when he took over, mm, exactly. um, players didn't want to play for England. And he mm. says his biggest achievement was that, you know, um, five years on or however long it was, um, yeah, five years, wasn't it? Um, was the players were chomping at the bit and players <clears throat> couldn't wait to tail for England. And a month later, he's telling us that one 18-year-old player and one 20-year-old player said they didn't want to play. <clears throat> and I do think that was the um, that was this that's been a significant news story of this whole England camp. Apart from now, I think it'll be low key and it'll be job done Friday Monday. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy, would you like to see Bellingham <laughs> given a go, or or does you know because Rice has gone out, you know, has left the squad. There's an obvious place there up for grabs alongside Calvin Phillips, for example. Wall Prowse has you know already left. So surely it will be Henderson or Bellingham, won't it? As you know, yeah. doing the need to start getting Jude Bellingham into the team. I do think that. Bearing I mean, in I, mind he's dominating Champions League games week in, week out. I had to laugh yesterday because the office rang me when the news about Rice came out that he he pulled out with flu. He said, "Oh, can you can you do a back page story saying you know England facing crisis?" I'm thinking, crisis? What crisis? Player pulls out. I mean, look, we'd, we'd all like Declan Rice to be in the team, of course. It's been probably. One of England's most consistent players over the last 12 months, and he's probably one of the first names on the team sheet. But I think Jude Bellingham is going to be, when you watch him play, you can't believe how old he is. It's just mm. amazing. He's just got so much maturity and strength, and the way he reads the game, it's, he's a unique, he's a really gifted player. And I think he's going to be, if he's not in the starting 11 for the World Cup, provided we qualify, which I'm sure we will do, I, I think there'll be something badly wrong because I think he's going to be the best midfielder arguably in Europe for the next 10 years if he keeps on his current trajectory of development. I mean, he's obviously doing a, Dortmund doing a great job with him over there. I think he's destined to come back to the Premier League. I think Liverpool and a few other clubs are, are interested in him. But yeah, I'd go Bellingham. I would like to see him get some game time because there's not that many games really, is there? From yeah, the end yeah. of this game between now and next next summer or next, next winter when the World Cup starts. So, you know, I think we'd like to see him, see what he can do. He's, he's, he's flitted in and out of the team, but he's going to be... I mean, Anderson, for his loyalty and his dedication to England, he, he must be, you know, applauded, but he's not the future, Jordan Anderson, is he? Jude Bellingham's the future. So cool. I'd like to see Bellingham start on uh, on Friday night. Yeah, blimey, that's some that's some declaration there. Wow. What? But, no, I, no, I, but, you know, Henderson's not the future. But no, I, I, I know what you're saying, but I think I like Jordan. I'd play Henderson on, on Friday. I don't... I'll, it's quite an interesting dynamic, though, isn't it? Is that Bellingham, you know, um, for the previous camp, can decide that he doesn't want to turn up, and then he should play him in the next game. You know, I wonder. Well, I, wonder, I have to say that 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 I wonder you know, if Southgate think a conversation, it? wouldn't it? You know, you know, you pick and choose your games. You know, you've got you've got an eighteen-year-old um, saying, "Well, no, actually, I don't fancy this double header," and then saying, "Well, you know, I want to play, or he should play the next game." I'd go with Henderson, just you know, basically. If only on that basis, and if only also because every time I've seen Jordan Henderson this season, I think he's been very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd go for Henderson as well, but for a different reason, and that is the one that Jeremy came up with is that Bellingham's very much the future, and I think it's really important that for all he can do as a seventeen-year-old uh, at the moment, we want him to be the world-class twenty-three-year-old uh, that. Is going to just wipe everybody, wipe the floor with anybody he comes up against. What would be a tragedy is if he becomes the crocked 21 year old, 18 year old, 19 year old, um, who doesn't quite, because he's still growing at this point, 
played so much football that he never quite fulfills that potential. And I do think that, I mean, I was speaking in the summer when he was um, at the Euros, when he was playing so well, to the to the guys that helped Andy Murray develop from the weakling sort of teenager who couldn't play five sets in, into a, the, the powerhouse that he became, the sort of athletic powerhouse that made, helped him compete with those top tennis players. Um, and the key thing is not to not to overplay him. Uh, and the other thing is how much bigger and stronger he can become just naturally by growing. And I, and I think Bellingham's, the management of Bellingham is crucial to England's success um, on the world stage over the next 10 years. He, he's that he's that good a player. Uh, and I don't think we can afford to take any chances, any risks that we could get it wrong. Uh, and working with his clubs, uh, I think he just needs to be looked after a little bit. So for this game, when you've got Henderson there, I, I would pick Henderson and perhaps still be aware that, that Bellingham's a very, he's a kid still, uh, and we need to look after him. In fairness, he, Cross, it doesn't really matter who we play, does it? We're playing Albania. And we're you would hope not. I think, I think that's, I think that Albania, Albania is a tougher game, tougher game. But I think England no. should win, of course they do. But yeah. I, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I think my just my two penneth on Bellingham is just that basically I, 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 I do feel as if he were playing in the Premier League and uh, for a team that was you know and starting every every week as he would be i'm sure because he's that good in the champions league and dominating champions league games as he does week in week out for dortmund he's carrying the team at the moment basically because dortmund have got so many injuries that you know the clamor would be irresistible for him to be starting every game for england so i hear what matt says and then makes good points but i think it would be great and it rather shows us I don't think Gareth is a little Englander, but it does show us, you know, how little Englanders approach sometimes. I think Bellingham is irresistible, no matter what mm. age he is. He's that, he's that good. Guys, uh, it has felt like a little bit of a Arsene Wenger loving this week. I was at the Palladium. I mean, every week should be like that, shouldn't it? I mean, really. I mean, you know, but um, but I was at the Palladium on Monday night to see me in conversation for charity, do for, um, for David Dean's charity, Twinning Project. Um, for uh, reforming offenders, and um, which was which was really good, and then he had a sort of a film premiere on Tuesday night as well. So, listen, I'm going to finish here on the topic of, of Wenger, and what is your favourite Arsene Wenger memory stroke story, Matt? I know you're such a big Arsene Wenger <laughs> fan uh, from the verbal jousting that you used to have at London Colney. What do you? What's your? Well, my my slightly and. Anta slightly antagonistic, fairly antagonistic view yeah. on on Wenger was formed over the years when when I got to know Arsene Wenger when his so called invincibles used to travel up to some of the unfashionable clubs up in the north west um, uh, and and Yorkshire uh, and get an absolute kicking, not stand up to it, and then our Wenger would bleat like Billio afterwards. That the, they were being kicked, and you thought you knew that was going to happen. You need to find a way of coming to terms with that. So I, I kind of had a a bit of a downer at a time when Mourinho's teams were coming up uh, and fighting fire with fire. That that I, I think he he um, he let himself uh, yeah he let himself become too much of a whinger for my for my liking, which is perhaps why I was as turned off the the sort of incredible football that that, that he did produce at times. Um, I love the image of him stood when he was sent to the stands at Manchester United, um, that iconic thing, and he had nowhere to go and had to stand there exactly with his arms spread, 
almost like some sort Christ of the redeemer. Some yeah, exactly, some sort of martyr there. That that um, but that, that was just why is it always me? So Balotelli, he shouldn't have it. It was almost kind of like victims, the image of being a victim. But but I also one of my fondest memories of the Premier League um, was Stoke City's first season in the in the top flight, uh, and that game where Wenger had clearly panicked his players so much about Rory Delap's throw-ins. That um that there was the sight of of Arsenal players about to put the ball out to touch by the corner flag, panicking, turning around, and then kicking the ball over their own goal line to to give away a corner instead. Um, uh, and the and and the sort of the, the obviously the scare tactics he put into their minds by describing them as the, as the you know, we had Stoke won that game, uh, and the fans were chanting two one to the rugby team. But, but the sight of Abu Diaby in one of his rare appearances for Arsenal, um, sprinting down the line after a ball, uh, and in the corner of his eye, six foot four Abu Diaby spots five foot six inch Andy Griffin coming across and taking the biggest backswing on a tackle I've ever seen. He virtually pulled his foot back round to his ear, um, ready to, to, to come crunching in on him. And Diaby, terrified, leapt about four foot into the air and Andy Griffin, blessed him, didn't go through with the tackle and the ball just ran out of play instead of Diaby dribbling on. He just let the ball... And and, and it was that kind of mentality of Wenger. Uh, and, and also one of my biggest missed opportunities, I think, for a comeback um, was when they went out to Sunderland. Time, gentlemen, please. Yes, quick one. Um, I was having a go at Wenger like I used to at Colney. He insisted his players were, were, were good. Uh, and had done well after losing to Sunderland in the 2012 FA Cup. And then he turned to me in a huff uh, and said, oh, well, perhaps uh, you played uh, football at some really high level. Uh, the, 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 you're entitled to that opinion. Uh, did you play at some really high level? And I thought she was only halfway back home. But I thought I should have said, yeah, but hang on a sec, Arson. Did you play at a very high level? Because the one thing he didn't ever had was that, that game experience and... Uh, uh, and it was the sort of the argumentativeness that he gave us that I remember. So you're I not argumentative at all, are you? Everybody yeah. else uh, blow smoke where, where where it probably should should be blown. <laughs> yeah, they did finish the season unbeaten, by the way. And you spent the whole time talking about how Arsenal were kicked off That's the pitch. That's why I thought I, I, totally, totally disregarding the beautiful football that they I'm actually sure our men's will be. But anyway, Andy, I'm conscious of time here, guys, because I'm going to call it. Yeah. So basically, Andy, Andy, a quick one, please. I mean, the very quick one that Matt's alluded to, that we've all alluded to, you know, that, that image in, when was it, 2009? Was it Mike Dean? Uh, yeah. Who sent, who sent him <laughs> off there and they got really two one down? And, and he's just, bottle down the touchline, I knew. And uh, I and, and him, you know, we, we all we, you know, we all had our moments with him, you know, very, you know, um cerebral moments, but then but then he just used to lose on the touchline. And, and like the fight with Jose Marino in what would that be? That was 2014 or something. You know, when he actually pushed Jose Marino, you know, he lost all his cool on the touchline, and uh, increasingly so. But that bit, listen, that that, that image of him. In the standard Old Trafford, will be you know one of the iconic images of of, of the Premier League era. Yeah, Jeremy, sign us out, please. Yeah, no, I'm, I was going to say the same thing as Andy. Yeah. That 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 day at Old Trafford when um, 
you know, he got into trouble and just stood there. And you'd, as soon as you stood, put his arms out, you knew that was going to be all over the back pages the next yeah. day. But Fergie just it, had a quick it, look it, behind him, thinking, "What's going on here?" And the look on Fergie's yeah. face was absolutely priceless. He knew he'd, he'd got him that hook line and sinker that day because I think it was yeah. was it six one. Was it no six, two one? Oh, oh, was that? Yeah, it was the game two one? Was he was he moaning about the fact that I think I think Arsenal had possible equaliser ruled out? I thought it was two yeah. one. Maybe. And he absolutely yeah, hoofed, hoofed a water bottle down the touchline and um, Dean yeah. sent him off. It was just one of those, uh, been there yeah. and seen it live, it just, it just always sticks in your mind. Yeah, Guys, thanks so much for joining. I must say we're a minute away from um, from, yeah. from 11 o'clock and, um, and and the ultimate respect on Armistice Day for, for, our, for our heroes, where you're poppied with pride and um, nice to see you all. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, uh, we'll see you same time, same place next week, I hope. Bye-bye.